Welcome to the Talking People and Technology podcast. I'm David Gazzarotto and uh, I'm here broadcasting live and recording live here at the ATC event in Sydney. Always exciting. Bit of a bit of a lull here um, in proceedings. Um, everyone is in sessions at the moment, um, but that won't stop us. Um, and I'm very pleased to be uh, to be able to introduce my. Usual partner in crime, Jared Cameron, has joined us. Thank you, Dave. I'm hot off the press, just got on off a flight, walked in out of the cab, sat down in the hot seat, and off we go. Fantastic. So this is the best way to get uh, get straight into conference mode, isn't it? Oh, you can't, can't go wrong with that. Good stuff. Well, um, I'm very pleased to have a guest with us here from Atlassian, Aubrey Blanche. How are you, Audrey? I'm doing great. Excited to be here. Awesome. Now, you, um, you carry a um, a great portfolio there at Atlassian. Do you want to describe what you do? Sure. So um, I always tell people that my job is to help Atlassian hire the right people and make sure that they feel fulfilled when they come to work. Um, but my technical job title, which probably won't provide any more clarity, uh, is that I'm the global <laughs> head of diversity and belonging. Yeah. Um, so I work across the entire talent life cycle as well as consulting with our product development to think about how we um, we create amazing experiences for our folks and for our customers. Mm. Very deliberate choice of language, in my view, in terms yeah. of your job title. Yeah. So we hear diversity and inclusion, you know, and, and equal opportunities, an older school way of framing that. But to actually choose words like belonging, I think are really powerful in them of themselves. Do you want to describe how that sort of came to be? Yeah, so we just changed it and I'm kind of, I love it. Um, so the reason is because I, I have a little bit of a, a knee-jerk sort of negative reaction to the concept of inclusion mm. because it feels like someone built a space and then said, yeah, it's fine if you show up and you're here. We'll include you. It feels, one, like still a little, ugh. Um, but with belonging, right, that feels like, look, we built a space for you. And that's a feeling that I think, right, we know that belonging is just a fundamental human need no mm. matter who mm. we are. Um, and so to us, it felt like it was more root level. Mm. Um, and then actually uh, the other word in my job title. So I'm on this like one woman mission to get rid of the word diversity. Yeah. Um, but I can't change my title to head of balance and belonging despite what I want to because no one would have any idea what I was talking about. Um, but I really am tired of the word diversity because it's come to mean underrepresented or marginalized such that people from majority groups don't think that they're a part of it. Yeah, it doesn't and that's feel, they don't feel like they're included, do they? Yeah, yeah. right? It's like, like the irony of it. Straight yeah. white guys are like, I'm not diverse. And I'm like, you matter. You're not diverse because you're only a single human. That's the only reason. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think when we talk about building balanced teams, everyone sort of intrinsically goes, yeah, that makes sense and that could include me too, which is really important. It's interesting though, from the balanced teams perspective, for quite a long time, we've talked about having a good psychological makeup of teams. Mm -hmm. So we do assessments with people and we have a look at their decision making and we have a look at the way that they like to collaborate and we say, hey, it's really good to have some people that are big picture thinkers and some detailed people together. We've always, that's been kind of normal in organizations. But as soon as we start also talking about gender and we talk about race and some of the other ones, they're kind of to some some places a sort of a taboo topic it's a bit, yeah. bit odd isn't it uh, and I think and yeah it is but I don't think it should be right because what we know is those categories that we get slotted into so shape what I call like our cognitive toolbox yeah so that's the information and knowledge that we have 
the way we interact with the world um, and then the mental models that we create. And so you think about in the same way that you want introverts and extroverts or the people who are sort of pushing forward versus making sure everything's staying on the tracks. Why wouldn't you want people with that kind of a diversity or that kind of a way of looking at things um, to be on your team as well? And I think there's certain types of problems where that becomes more and more relevant. But I think about it at Lassian. The fact is we're making tools for teams, and those teams are every single type mm. of team in business. And so the likelihood that we can solve people's problems if we don't intimately understand what they are mm. means it's, it's a hindrance for us in our business if we can't help uh, our team reflect the diversity of our global customer Yeah, base. it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, and just as, a, as an aside, I think, Jared, you're using one of these team tools right now, Trello. I am, yeah. So we run our podcast off Trello. <laughs> yes. and And I run, I run retrospectives off Trello. Yeah. And I live off Trello. My tasks are... <laughs> everything's on Trello. Yeah. <laughs> yes, anyway, so... You can do anything with Trello. I literally am learning Spanish with Trello. Yeah. <laughs> in yeah. addition to also running my team yeah absolutely <laughs> um now we're trying to thought um <laughs> we're talking about the mixture of, of the teams themselves and it's interesting i come from a i sort of grew up professionally in retail and we went through a whole period there in the um early to mid 90s where and and funny enough i carried a title not dissimilar to yours in the organization i was 24 years old single white straight male with no life experience whatsoever and i was the um the diversity officer for the largest employer in Australia at the time, Coles Meyer, um, which was kind of funny, but it was an analytical role. My job was actually to compile reports, really, mainly. But one of the things back then, and this is the connection I'm trying to make in here, we looked at um, the makeup of our executive, our management, all the levels in the organisation, and correlated that to the nature of our customer base, and we found the disparity to be huge for all the reasons you can imagine 20 years ago um so there was a degree of proactivity then to say well we need to bring you know more diversity more inclusion into uh, various levels how do we do that how do we look at career paths that are open to more people in the organization because back then it was if you weren't a grocery in the grocery part of the business um you weren't able to get into store management and then into regional management very siloed yeah if you're a a customer service person there was no pathway so what would happen most of the people doing the groceries um, management stuff had to go at the back in the storeroom lift big boxes not something that females typically wanted to do or were perceived not to be able to do so they mm-hmm. simple as that so that, that's an example i guess yeah. from 20 years ago yeah. what's sort of modern thinking and how are you going about Yeah, well, I want to pull out one thing that was sort of implicit in what you said, which was really important, which is, you know, balanced teams and a sense of belonging don't happen by accident, right? If you're not paying attention to it, you're probably building inequitable systems Mm. unintentionally. So it takes intention and care. I think a lot of the things that we're doing, so we take a very social science-based approach um, to DNI. Actually, I love that you said you were doing analytics because I'm, you know, no happier than when, like, I have a new spreadsheet full of data and I'm, like, <laughs> in my R code, like, what's mm. going on in the world? But um, I think that for us, a lot of the things that I work on don't sound like traditional DNI things. And I don't tend to think of anything as a program. I tend to think of it as a systemic intervention, Right. And then we measure how the system changes or what the outcomes are. So 
basically things that sound uh, not exciting, like testing our performance review uh, language to see whether there's inherent gender or racial bias in the way that we're describing qualifications, Mm. you know, and that never shows up like, no, you know, no one knows that I touched that or did that. But the outcome of that is that we know that when we audit the outcomes of our performance process, because in a large end, right, we shouldn't see significant differences between groups that we go, oh, if we do see an error or something, we know that that's due to systematic errors in human judgment, not an artifact of the system that we're using, which is helpful because it means we can correct for that or we can intervene, give folks more training. Um, so those are the things that I get really excited about as sort of a, I was a social science researcher, um, and yeah, or looking at things like designing a standardized interview about the types of behaviors that are aligned with our values. Mm. So we hire people who are going to be really additive to the organization. Um, so most of the stuff I do isn't branded with, you know, with Mm. my job title or something. We just think of it as the right way to do things. I quite like that though, because what you're saying is actually your job is to help make the rest of the core business work really well and it, yeah. if, if you do your job well it's like the duck under the water it's like the feet of the duck under the water like a lot goes on in the background mm. but you don't necessarily see it it's just the result is we have more women in technical jobs or we have you know we have a better ben- a better blended teams or you know whatever those whatever those actually what are some of the what are some yeah. of the objectives you're chasing? Yeah, so obviously I think, right, everyone is trying to improve uh, the representation of women in technical roles. Um, that definitely looks different at different parts of the organization. But last year, globally, super exciting, um, 57% of our technical graduates that we brought in identified as female. So wow. 57. Um, I was have to give incredible credit to our campus talent acquisition team. Um, so thoughtful. A third um, of our interns in the U.S. identified as black or Hispanic, um, which is definitely different than than Mm. the rest of the tech industry. Um, Another thing for us, we talk about ageism a lot because I don't think enough people do in tech. Mm. Um, But we've increased the representation of folks over 40 at Atlassian from about 12 to 18 percent in two years. Um, A big cheer from my side of the uh, the table here (laughs) on that one, being the old bloke at the the dial. Yeah, we were were the first tech company to release statistics about the age diversity of our workforce. And one, because I think it's important to call out issues so that Mm. you can solve them. But also, as, you know, an LGBTI uh, Mexican-American woman, I was like, oh my God, it's a group I'm not in. I can advocate for them. That's thrilling. You know, (laughs) just give it time. But... Uh, yeah. So there's a, look, there's a couple of um, sort of le- leading on from this um, question of um, the connection through to core business. And yeah. It's this whole notion of um, why bother too. Yeah. So this is, I think that's really important to, to ask yeah. genuinely. I think it's a really important question. Um, so I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, one is that when we talk about diversity or building these sort of balanced teams, and it is important that the research actually shows that it's not about you know, these underrepresented people, it's actually getting the mix of human beings that, yeah. that creates outcomes. Like you get more innovation out of teams. Mm. You get, they're better at problem identification and solution development. Um, companies with more diversity and leadership tend to see better top line performance. Um, so right, these are all just core business metrics. Mm. Uh, people are happier. They're more likely to retain and goodness, we know how expensive attrition is. Yeah. Um, Horrific. And so I think what I always say is that I solve business problems through the lens of, you know, diversity and belonging. Um, but ultimately, yeah, it, it diversity is the solution to the problem that you're seeing. Yeah, but it's not a panacea. Like, all problems aren't solved by it. No, definitely not, right? You need to, you need to be thoughtful about which problems you're going after. Um, but 
the fact is diversity is about people yeah. and the hardest problems in business are always about people, people, right? Yeah. It's like engineering. What's the hardest part about engineering? People. Yeah. Right. And often you hear that the same old adage, oh, we can't find talent. And the reality is if you go and look at a whole workforce and all you're looking for is the young white men, yeah, there's maybe not as many of them in the workforce that have the skills that you need. But if you broaden that horizon, mm. or even further that, you look for people that don't necessarily have that same background but have transferable skills. You know, I, th- I think in this conference in particular, you know, a lot of the discussion is about where do we find the people, how do we attract mm-hmm. them, how do we retain them. I think it's a really relevant conversation to that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I am definitely sure that Atlassian was not looking for a former international security researcher who used to be a journalist and an opera singer to like run their diversity <laughs> and belonging department like they definitely were not looking for that um but when but that's what they got right right you're like, <laughs> but but it actually makes sense right so i'm really empirical right that's my toolbox uh the the opera thing i have to do a lot of public speaking and it's a lot easier to talk than hit notes so that's nice yeah. um but the journalism thing i think because so much of this is about people and their emotional experience being able to communicate mm. is a really important part of the job so I ended up picking up the right skills that made me qualified but my resume did not look at all like anyone should have hired me yeah. I like to you know joke someone got drunk and sent me the letter and no, <laughs> I can't yeah. take it back um, yeah. but I think if we took that um, that lens to a whole bunch of roles yeah. because I think we all know businesses are changing so much and the fact is your job changes every six months anyway it so does, pretending yeah. like you can hire for a specific set of skills and that's going to be good enough is just not as relevant to the future of talent yeah the, the, the converse of this, though, also plays out where, um, and this is the argument about quotas, that if you're actually forced to hire more women, is that going to make your workforce, is it going to improve and enhance the workforce, or is it going to dilute it to an extent where you don't have the specialist capability you might have if you were able to hire 85% Stanford graduates who are all from the same suburb of San Francisco? Yeah. Oh, I love this question. Um, yeah. So I think one, uh, I have so many feels about quotas and they're mm. mostly negative um, mm. for purely social scientific reasons, which is a quota is a manipulation of mm. the dependent variable without actually solving any of you know the issues yeah. with the independent variable yep. and their mechanisms. So like at Atlassian, we use targets, not quotas. And we use things like the balance of our hiring as a signal of whether we're evaluating objectively and well. Yep. Right. Um, so it's like I always say, right, it's like, oh, you want to hire more X underrepresented people? Raise your standards. Mm. And that's what happens, mm. right? So there's the common misconception that you have to lower your standards to get diversity. Mm. But what we see mathematically is when you have a group that's homogenous, it's generally the outcome of inconsistent or low standards. Yep. So you need to flip it on its head. The way that we sort of have it is we say diversity is the outcome of holding ourselves to the highest standard. Yeah. Mm. So on that, you must have to work harder in an organization like Atlassian because in my mind, a brand like Atlassian, you, you would have no shortage of people knocking the door down to come and work there. So if you were lazy, you could just simply pick the ones that looked like the managers and you know had, had nicely shaped beards like the bosses. <laughs> they still the bosses, those two boys, those yes. two Aussie boys? Yes, <laughs> they are. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, yeah. You must have to work harder. Is that yeah, fair I think, to say? Yeah, I think it would be easy for us to sort of do, do it the easy way, which is just who comes to us. But what we know, and again, our mission as a company is to unleash the potential of every team, right? We're obsessed with teams and with people. Mm. We know that in order to run our business the way we want to, we have to care about this. Mm. And I think... 
for, for an engineering, for a technology company, we're very human focused in a way that resonated with me because I'm all about people. It's we don't just want to. We know that even for folks from majority groups, they're going to have a better work experience where they have more meaning, where they're building more impactful products when we go find and allow them to work with people who are different from them. Yeah. Right. That's kind of part of what we owe our employees is to give them that experience where they're feeling fulfilled in their work. And we know that the way they do that is an environment where they're constantly learning and growing and learning and growing, not just sitting in a seminar, but learning from the people around them. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm going to flip a switch now because yeah. this conference's theme is about AI. Yes, I love and it. Bots and all of that wonderful stuff. Um, so I'm going to ask you. I think the diversity question or the um, question that's on a lot of minds around AI at the moment, we see Alexa and Google Home and, and the like um, in play. And there's a suspicion now that the AI may be biased because <laughs> a lot of the people it's who are... written by white, yeah, the white, white middle-aged men. Yeah. Is it a who suspicion? Who love Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. And this is the question I'll throw it out there. I, yeah. I'm not going to necessarily... Facebook got thrown that question even, yeah. you know? I, I wouldn't call it a suspicion. I would call it a statistical certainty. Yeah. Right. The question is, in what particular ways and in what particular outcomes is it impact? going to show up, mm. right? Um, so I think there's this concept that's emerging called algorithmic violence. And it's about the ways that people's sort of social and systemic oppression or marginalization is actually increased or made worse by the use of algorithms. And this is something that, like, frankly, for me, it's like climate change and this issue are basically things that keep me up at night. Um, Because what we know is that our our lives are increasingly being run by these algorithms, but it's not clear that the people who are developing them actually have the lived experience to even do a risk assessment of the worst case scenario outcomes of what they're developing, right? Because if you have a group of people who only have a certain set of lived life experiences, and we do know that it tends to a lot of white men, right, are in AI. AI is even less representative than yeah. in broader tech. It's like, well, do you even have any idea what could happen? Because you statistically likely probably haven't experienced the same level of social marginalization mm. that, say, an African-American woman has. Yeah. Um, and then on top of that, it's really a new trend that technical departments are starting to require things like ethics. And so the tech industry has gotten into a lot of trouble because Mm. they always ask the question, can we build this? Mm. But I think given that we're now Mm. talking about AI, right? General Mm. AI is going to be a thing. Should we? Yes. And what's the worst case scenario if we do? And how do we build against it? I found that really interesting, actually, with, with the Facebook example, where Zuckerberg actually got up there and said, we thought at first that we were just building a platform for all to do what they want. But mm. now we realize we actually have a role in making sure that it's used for good. You know, that whole ethics part has only been sort of a recent thing. I mean, they're the, you know, they're the biggest tech, tech company on earth, and they're only really just now coming to grips with that. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, yeah. I think you've got to... Um, I have this inherent skepticism, which I, I sense in you too, Aubrey. Um, Always. The, yeah, <laughs> that uh, surely they knew what they were getting into. Of surely they, they understood did, what damage they could do if it was put They're to only bad. now choosing to actually stand behind yeah. it and say, actually, we might do something about yeah. it. Oh, really? You, know? you can do that with it? Oh, right. Okay. Well, <laughs> let's think about ways we can curb that now, now that I'm in front of the Senate. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I and I want. I think the other thing that folks don't think about, and I think 
most terrifyingly, all of the papers I've been reading suggest that there is no way to statistically control for the underlying biases that exist in the data sets that we're using to train this, right? So uh, yeah. the fact is that our world is biased, right? And so any data that we're collecting from the real world, right, it means that it's reflecting those things. And so when we're then training algorithms, and this is what we call algorithmic violence, where we're then re-entrenching this. There's a fantastic book um, called Algorithms of Oppression, mm. and it talks about the ways that um, that the way that search engines and indexing works actually um, entrenches these things. So, I mean, I have graphic examples, but yeah. <laughs> it, yes, this is rated PG. Yeah. All right. This podcast, <laughs> I'm afraid. So um, it's interesting because I, I asked, I've asked that question because AI is big here and some yeah. of the vendors. I'm not going to name them, um, but the answer I'm getting from the vendor side is um, it's the data that drives it, not the AI engine. So if you have data going into it which then skews things in a certain way don't blame the tool set blame the data going in could, could be and could then be on both top though, of that really, couldn't it well it could be but then yeah. on top of that it's doesn't matter what comes out of it the human interacting and and acting on what comes out of the machine is actually where the bias lives yeah but it's hard when the machine you know puts three people in front of you and rank orders them for you and says this one's one that yeah. one's two and that one's well, three well it presumes it presumes you have a choice so yeah. if the algorithm spits things out and doesn't show you the other stuff then how can the human intervene yeah, yeah. am I allowed to call bullshit on that answer please do yeah, bullshit. That's why I didn't name uh, the, the individuals. Yeah, and so my reason for that is, one, right, we know this, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah, of course. But I think that that actually feels like this sort of, um, I guess, like libertarianism that exists in Silicon Valley where it's like, oh, I'm not responsible. You know, my intent was good. Well, the fact is we are ethically responsible for both the intent and the impact of mm. our actions. Um, so Kieran Snyder, who is the CEO of um, Textio, which is an augmented uh, writing platform. Yep. Um, we are partners with them. I'm like their number one super fan. But that one of the things that she sort of taught me, which I fundamentally agree with, is if you are not intentionally designing sort of AI against bias, then it's not a good algorithm, right? You, ha you know that these things exist in the world. And so mm. there is, I think, an ethical obligation for those mm. things to be considered as part of product development. Because at the end of the day, even if all you're trying to do is solve a business problem, you haven't actually solved it if you haven't accounted for mm. the inherent bias that's in your training data sets or in the way your algorithms are constructed. Yep. So th that pegs us back in, in, around to values. And I remember yeah. very early on, like Atlassian would have been like year two, um, I went to an event that was being run, a, a little meet-up, 20-odd people in the old building here in Sydney. Um, and it still is me now. What was up scrawled on the walls, it wasn't like a fancy corporate thing. It was the values. And the values must still be the same ones. You know. I think so. <laughs> yeah. um, they've got a lot of curse words in them. They have. Because Australians yeah, wrote do. them. Yeah. Um, yeah so and, that's, and at the time, that was, that was cool and edgy as well, yeah. part of being able to describe it. So yeah. where I want to go with this is two things. One is bring those values to what you do. So if you are developing products that could um, you know, create evil in the world, that your, you know, your values dictate you don't. Yeah. Secondly, and this is probably the connection back to you, that whole sense of belonging and being tribal and living those things must be all, all wrapped up together. Yeah, it is. So when I was uh, being recruited by Alassian, and this was like three years ago now, I kept hearing people talk about the values, and I was like, oh, good, it's more corporate bullshit. Yeah. Um, I was so wrong. <laughs> um, 
the amount to which we cite our values, like on a day-to-day basis when we're hiring, when we're making business decisions is honestly phenomenal to me. And I think one of the reasons it's such a great company now is because Mike and Scott got that really early. Um, So for us, the values show up in everything. We have an interview that's a values aligned interview where we're specifically looking for people who exhibit behaviors like empathy for their colleagues, their willingness to go above and beyond even when it's not your job. Um, You know, the desire to work transparently and openly mm. with one value that's don't F the customer. Mm. Right. And so for that, it's take the long-term view, do what's right for the customer. We promise it'll monetize later mm. um, or mm. things like that. And, and I think those things are really important. And when you're doing something as impactful to people's real life experiences as, you know, using technology, especially in the talent space, you should have a set of ethical principles or values about how you build. Yeah. Um, because yeah, it can be easy to forget that those data points in your ATS are actually real, living, breathing human beings. Yeah, they are. And it's hard, though, in an organization to get the values to breathe through the whole layer. I mean, I've been involved in so many values programs with lots of organizations, and I've seen, I've seen plenty of them where, you know, the leaders give it the lip service, but you don't yeah. see decision-making that's value-centric, mm-hmm. and you don't see recruitment decisions that are, you know, that are value-centric. Like, it, it's impressive, I think, that Atlassian's been able to actually fill it and bring bring that into its culture you know yeah mm. and I, I think we, we try to we're, we're always thinking about more ways in which it can show up um, but one of the things that that I'm really I love is that even as a part of our um, our performance assessment process right you're actually assessed on how you live the values and we developed um, specific indicators of what that means and that wasn't something mm. that like a couple of executives you know put their feet up and decided uh, some amazing Atlassians went out and actually did focus groups with a mm. big group of Atlassians so what are values aligned? What, what behaviors are aligned and misaligned to each of these values? And that's actually how we created shared understanding. It's like we got buy-in. You know, the leaders looked at it too, and they were like, "Do we agree?" Yeah, yeah. But it was really a team-level effort to develop those, and then saying we're assessing your performance at this company based on that. In addition to you know your your craft yeah. contributions and how how you impacted your team, um, and that to me is just exciting because social scientist hat on, right? It changes the structural incentives of how people behave. And what we know from behavioral science is that people's behaviors and actions are more driven by their environments and their incentives than they are by sort of any personal thing. And so you can change a lot in a really good way by manipulating those little things that create mm. higher order system changes. Mm. Mm. Awesome. Hey, um, Aubrey, thank you so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah. That's been a very interesting enlightening conversation yeah thank you for having me this is so much fun now before i let you go um i heard a rumor that at the uh, networking drinks tonight that you're going to be building out one of the arias from uh, (laughs) turandot is that correct um so i don't know that one Uh, i Uh, am coming to dinner tonight right uh if you give me like two wines i might sing ave maria for you oh wow great great to tap into your diverse background as well we'll bring the microphones and the recording gear so oh you definitely don't want a microphone it's loud you don't need one for that one yeah. Uh, thanks again, and uh, thanks everyone for joining us, Jared. Um, good to have you back at yeah. the at the microphone, mate. And uh, <laughs> we'll catch here. you all again soon. <laughs>